0: looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: There is a message that I have really believe I've received from the Lord. Now when I say that it's not like God spoke to me. But he also knows that when he puts a person in ministry, especially a preaching and a teaching ministry, he then will give them certain promptings. And I don't know how I can really explain it other than I really pray and then I sense the needs of the people and I sense what's going on in God's word and then I want to connect you to the Lord. So if I could make that real simple, my greatest desire, and this is who I am, is I want to take God, the Lord, the whole deity, and I want to bring him to you. And then with my other hand, I want to take all of you, those that I know intimately well and those that I don't, and I want to take all of you, and I want to bring you intimately to the Lord so that you too can have a wonderful relationship with Him. And so I know I'm not perfect, but that is my heart's desire. I also know that in our church that we are on a particular journey now as we move forward in our pastoral leadership, and I thank the Lord for all of that. But I also know that when we have to make a change in our pastoral leadership like we have done here that there is always going to be the unknown what's going on and how can we uh, what's happening in the future and obviously you have a different personality and when you have that then different choices are made and god has opened up a door to what we do that is probably the a curse word with a lot of christians and that's the word change you know they don't like the word change well let me just again say that uh, i am not wired to change things just for change purposes there are people that like to do that they always want to catch you off guard on things And that's not who I am. I do desire that we work together as a family and we move forward and so some things will change. And I don't even know totally what the future is going to hold. I have no crystal ball. God doesn't speak to me before he speaks to you, anything like that. But as we move forward, things might happen. So I then ask myself, what type of message from God's word could I give to people that might face change in their life? whether it's the change of a ministry as it moves forward or change on your job. Many of you will go to work maybe after Labor Day Tuesday and things are going to be shaken up over there as well and you're going to face change. How do you handle that? How do you face a change with your health or change with your finances or change if you have to move or all those people in Houston? A half a million cars are now totally destroyed. Can you think about that? Now, I know some Houstonians will probably be glad. That means they can get around town better. You know what I mean? But those who have lost a car, their world is going to change forever for that. And I really, my heart goes out to them. So this message, so let me frame it for you, it is going to be a two-part message. In fact, it could be many more parts than that, but I'm trying to give you maybe a vitamin tablet all in one, a concentrated study on this. And I'm doing it for a number of reasons. It's going to be a message called looking at ourselves through the eyes of God. One reason I'm going to give you that message is because you may face issues in your own life, and that when you do, you might want to have a stabilizing bit of truth that you can instantly go to when you have that problem. Now, obviously, I want this to be more than a spare tire when you have a flat. I do want it to be something that you really own. So I've captured these truths, and I'm going to put them in a way that you can memorize the truth, memorize the passage, and abide in that in your life, and allow God to change you from the inside out. But in addition to that, I also would like to have you so equipped that you could become that spiritual influence in your family, that when life gives them some tough things, that you too can come alongside them, but actually give them maybe a list of six truths to begin with, that if they could own those truths and change their mind about those truths, that they now will have the same stability in their life as well. And then I think about those of you that are going to be connecting to the people in Houston, So let me broaden that out just a little bit. I know this now dates this message, and I don't know how long it's going to be used, but I can tell you this. The issues in Houston with Harvey is going to be a long, long time before it's ever fixed. And frankly, I don't think it'll ever be fixed. It'll just be much different, and life will go on for them. That being said, sometimes when we want to come alongside people, we're wired because of our personality style that we want to help them, but it's all about tasks. I tend to look at myself that I I am people-oriented. I don't have a problem speaking in front of people, but I'm not really well one-on-one. If you find that I am, that's a miracle of God, really, in my life. I'm more, get the task done, I see the big picture, let's move ahead. But I have to tell you that when someone is really hurting, they don't need my tongue to teach and preach at them. They need my arms to be wrapped around them when they really hurt. And so that we would become, when we deal with people that are hurting, that we want to love on them. And probably the best way we can love on them is when they are emotionally and mentally ready, that we too would share these truths with them. Well, I'm going to blast you with them in two days. You might have to park on each one long enough as they begin to rethink who God is. That would be for the saved and the unsaved alike. So I'm really wanting to equip you to be able to come alongside others who are really crashing and burning. Well, let's come up for air a little bit. How many of you have met someone, maybe another Christian, that you know they have gone through some really deep water, and as you look at them, they always seem to be a little peace. There's a degree of joy in there. There is a sense of purpose, even though the whole world is crashing down around them. Now, I'm not talking about the ones who are in a state of denial. They, they have all of this, and they just, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. I'm not talking about those people. But I'm talking about those who realistically says, yeah, this is a, a bad Storm, but at the same time they have peace. Do you know someone like that? Would you raise your hand? Look at this room. And I again wanted you that are guests here to look that there are people that have gone through that and they have remained very strong. Part of that could have been their personality style. Some just are able to just kind of go through it all. But I think by far those that are Christian have really went through it because they have already learned the truths that I'm going to share with you. So for some this is not going to be a whole lot of new stuff. For some it's going to be ooh. I need to remember that. That's that's good stuff. I need to go back to that. Others of you it will be new. And so I like you really to chew on it. Now I have to give you a back door, because some of the things that I'll be sharing with you that if you flat out give it to a non-Christian, they will there's no way they can get it. Those that are immersed in a secular worldview, they will not get this. And in my opinion, that's good. Because if they really could get it, then I'm giving them nothing more than tea and sympathy and a few platitudes. Because God's word is really veiled to those who don't know Christ as Savior. So if anything, I want to connect into their life in some measure so I can bring them through the only door that is the door into them to be able to understand this, and that's through the door of Jesus Christ by faith alone in Christ. So I want to do that. But once I do, I want them to know these great truths. So I would like you to take notes this week. I especially encourage you to invite folks next week, I'll do a mini review for those that weren't here with us this week. We will then launch into some new material. But if you're wondering who could I invite, obviously everybody and anybody, but I will speak to those who are going through some physical malady, some of those that were born that way, someone who maybe had a crime done to them so that they cannot see well or at all, they cannot hear well or at all, they cannot function with their body, whether it might be that way. I want you to bring them as well. No, we're not going to have a healing meeting here. And if I could heal them, believe me, I would do that. But what I'd like to do is to give them perhaps a more biblical way that will help them to see themselves as being full of worth before God and that they have purpose even in what we might call as their weakness because I frankly believe all of us are handicapped. We're just handicapped in different areas. And I know that's not a politically correct word, but you know what I'm saying by that. And so I just want you to know I'm here to help them, but I'm only doing it because... It's in the Word, and I want to share the Word with you. So we're going to open up our Bibles right now. If you brought a Bible, I'd like you to look in Psalm 139. We will not have time to go through all of it today, but we will go through enough of it to give you some material that will help you to help others. So remember, you have two hats on today. One is to own it. You want to think through it when you're facing challenges. And then secondly, I want you to own it well enough so you can take these truths through your personality, through your experience, through your abilities, to the kinds of people that the Lord will bring to you. So we're calling this Looking at Yourself Through the Eyes of God. So let me give you a brief backstory of Psalm 139. It won't take much because there's not a lot of backstory. The more I research this, we really cannot definitively say what was the circumstance that the writer of Psalm Psalm 139 was going through to be able to put this forth. We do know that the author of Psalm 139 was God the Holy Spirit. God, he wrote this, and then he put it into the mind of David. David is arguably Israel's greatest king, all right, that ever known, all right, and that great king went through a whole lot of stuff in his life, and if you have never heard the story of David, I encourage you to do that, particularly read 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings and Chronicles, and that'll give you a wonderful story of David's very tumultuous life, and yet through it all, he could still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed is the man who's trusted in him always, so he's a good backdrop for that. Now when he wrote all of this, he wrote it in what is now referred to as Psalms. Now when you hear the word Psalms, you know that that is probably, or it is for sure, the longest book in the Bible. But Psalms is another word for the word songs, S-O-N-G-S, songs. The Jewish people would often take these Psalms, these words that were inspired by God, given to the writers of the Psalms, the Psalmist, David being the primary one, the biggest one, and then turn them into songs that they would sing frequently, and at different special occasions as well. We would also refer to that, in a very loose sense, the word hymns. You've been to churches, usually the older churches, they will have what they call hymn books. All right, So this is like a hymn. Now it's interesting because what we believe happened is that David got this inspiration. He was just so effervescent about his attitude toward God. He then wrote all of this stuff down, and it was so good And God then prompted him, and it got out. Now how did it get out to all the Jews then? And obviously it was preserved for us today. We believe it was given to the choir director that David had, and that's another interesting story of how he put all that together and the big choirs, and they sang to one another back and forth and all of that. God loves music. I believe God loves music loud. All right, Not headbanging loud, but enough where you can express it. Now I thought, why would he give it to this choir director? Well, there's a lot of reasons for it, because again, it's a song, it's a hymn. But I'd like to give you my opinion. And when you hear me say this, when it's my opinion... I'll use the term Ponsism, all right? it's a Ponzism. It may be, I think it's pretty reasonable. You might want to cogitate. Think about that. And that would be simply this. Often when we are given a song, like we would have from our worship team here, they select a song, they think about what's being done, they want to lift you up in worship, you know, so we all worship the Lord. And so when they do that, they do a song. How many times they have led us in a song or different songs, and that song was so good, either it reached us right at that moment, or it had such a neat melody, or the words are really good that we kind of left here singing that song. Has that ever happened to you? that you kind of hum that song the rest of the day? If you haven't, how many have done it where the last song you heard on the radio? You hum that all day. Would you raise your hand? Alright, wonder what station you're listening to. That's another subject. Back to this. Alright, so now we begin to sing it. When we sing songs, that's also another way to drive it from our brain to our head down deep more into our soul. It becomes a part of our subconscious, it becomes a part of us. So when we go through Psalm 139, I bring it all the way back. God says, I really love you, and I have a purpose in my life for me, for you, and I want you to know that. I'm going to give it to David. I could have given it to anybody else. David has gone through pretty much everything you're going to go through in some measure or not, and he says, and I'm going to turn it into a hymn that we're all going to sing, and when you sing it, you're going to own it from the head to the heart to everywhere. Everybody can sing it together. We all own that. And so I think Psalm 139 is a great psalm for us to be able to do that. And there are great truths about this. Now, this particular psalm really is saturated with what uh, theologians would call the attributes of God. And I think that's excellent because it really is an attribute being that that's what describes defines God in a particular term, but also in a particular way as it functions out. Now, some of the attributes that are found in Psalm 139 would be the following. You'd have one that's referred to by theologians, omniscience. Omniscience just basically means God is all-knowing. I think even little children are told God knows it all, all right? That's a good thing to know. It's a good thing for us to believe. It's a good thing for us to really own in our heart. And I'm going to open up why that's important, why you need to look at yourself through that attribute of God that he is all-knowing. The second attribute we're going to find in here is that God is omnipresent. Well, that's pretty simple. I think all of you know. What does that mean? Omnipresent. God is omnipresent. What does that mean, everyone? God is all what? Present. He's everywhere present. Now, that doesn't mean he's in this podium or he's in your chair, all right? But it does mean he's everywhere present. We just can't get away from him, all right? We might think we can, but we cannot get away from him. The third attribute is an attribute that's Um, one I like. I I love them all, but this one, he is omnipotent. We would say he is all-powerful. That's God. He is all-powerful. That means there's no one, nothing more powerful than God. And through his power, then he can disperse what has power, who has power, how much power, and how they can even use their power. Nothing is out of God's control with his power. We're going to talk about He is omnipotent. Those are three of the attributes of God. Now, I know this sounds like you're in a theology class, but I really want to crank you up a little bit so that you know this, you really remember this stuff, because as we get very practical, this is what makes us having genuine peace when we go through problems. Now, with that, keep this in mind. This is not a psycho-cybernetics with a little bit of spirituality. I'm not trying to psych you up with a little phrase or two. I really want you to know God. Now let's go a little bit further. We will get into our outline and our text here for you today, but listen to this. Out of just those three that'll be the predominant attributes of God found in this passage, there'll be some other aspects of how those attributes are revealed. There'll be at least three of these, and that would be that he is all-loving. So we might call that an attribute, but it also is coming out of his attributes because that's who he is. He is all-loving. We will explore what that means in context, but also in the context of the world that you're living in right now, your little world, how important that is. The next is we're going to learn that God is faithful. I love the fact that we sang that old hymn today, Great is Thy Faithfulness. There is a lot of great contemporary music coming out that focuses us again on the faithfulness of God. All of that together reminding us that God is faithful, especially in a world that changes all the time. He doesn't. And then the third way it's going to be revealed to us, it's very important for us, is that God is good. God is good. And we're going to really open that up next week because I have to answer a deeper question about that. That's the question, uh, does God hurt me, harm me? What's the difference between being hurt and harmed under a sovereign God? We will talk about that next week, especially in light of those of you who really have had a... um, You've been really dealt a bad blow in life, all right? And I want to explain how that fits underneath the goodness of God. Now, with all of those, I need to give this disclaimer. I do not want you to leave here thinking that Psalm 139 has all the attributes there is of God. It's all found in 139. They're not. They're all over Scripture. The other thing that's difficult at times, as much as I want to put these attributes of God in a box, I don't know that I could really put God in that much of a box. You're in this box of... All powerful, that box of all present, that box of all knowing. I think many times as you read through this, as you see God, He's like, He's 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 all together. He's all He's all one. He's all that, but there's different dimensions. I struggle with how to explain that. I'm not trying to explain the Trinity. I'm just trying to explain the facets of God. And I got thinking, what are facets? I think the best illustration I can give to you that you could take home and own would be like God is like a diamond. And a beautifully cut diamond. And if you have a diamond ring, just take a moment and look at it as I'm talking. That's a diamond ring. What really makes it sparkle when you kind of turn it different ways? Well, obviously, the reflection of the light. Secondly, the quality of the diamond. I get that. But what does it? When you have a diamond, a diamond has different facets of it. And so sometimes as we go through Psalm 139, and by extension the rest of Scripture, that diamond of God, of all He is, a little side of that diamond that particular attribute, will sparkle, and another one will sparkle, and another one will sparkle. And so as we look at it, we're going to look at a sparkling, blessed God and Savior, Jesus Christ, through this passage. So there'll be times I'll focus on one and focus on the other, and I will never try to answer, because I don't think I ever could, which attribute is more important. I think they're all important. Some will be more meaningful at the particular time you're going through a tough time, but it's all still connected our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Can you say amen on that? That's the great God that we're going to serve. So let's begin to look at this passage of Scripture. And if you have your Bibles again, I hope you open it up to Psalm 139. There are a lot of good translations for today and next week. I'm going to be using Psalm, our New American Standard uh, version of it. I'm not trying to say your version is not any good. I'm just saying this is the one that will help me to get through it in a more expository way if I can do that. So if you will, let's take down truth number one. These are not listed in any form of priority. They are all just listed maybe more based on the exposition of the passage and how it might be found. So here is number one. God is all-knowing. I think you probably already guessed that in your little outline if you're following along. Those of you that are on radio or internet listening to this right now, you can still jot these down without an outline. Just have Psalm 139. I will read through the passage and I will even pick out various words to emphasize. But for right now, God is all-knowing. But I have to kick in a therefore. If you have the fact that God is all-knowing, that, that, that's really good, but it could turn into dead orthodoxy. You know, We all know that, but we still go on and live our own life you know, struggling to get people to love us or like us or whatever. In this passage, we're going to look that God is all-knowing, therefore He knows what is best for me. He knows what is best for me. Now, that personalizes this immediately. God knows what is best for you. Now, you might say, well, Stan, why are you personalizing this so much? Well, that's because, interestingly... David personalizes it. It's kind of interesting. He is writing this psalm about how he sees God in his own life, and then he gives it out to the choir director. They then learn all of this stuff. They set it to some kind of chant music, and then they disperse it to the people, and they're all now chanting this, and that's what's happening with that. They're all personalizing it. Watch this, watch this. If you all personalize it, then corporately we own this, and we become a church that's stable. We're a church filled with peace. We're a church filled with joy. We're a church that doesn't say we have all the answers, but it's okay. We're connected to the one who does. And that's what makes it so special. So God is all-knowing. He knows what is best for us. So give me a few minutes now to really show you how rich this is through the very passage. Let me read to you again the first few verses of it. It says, "Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways, even before there was a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I can't attain it. All right, let's look at it. So what does he know? Number one, he knows us personally. Now that's how you find it in your notes. You might even scratch out the word us for a moment and just own this as if you and I are talking together just maybe in the comfort of your living room. Why don't you say, he knows me personally. Now that is a wonderful thought that if you certainly feel like you're nothing more than a a, a leaf in the autumn time when the wind blows you amongst all the other leaves and then discard it. You might feel that way. But that's not what God says. He knows you. He knows. But how does he know? It says he searched me and known me. It's not that God has a high degree of ignorance that's removed by observation. It's not like, all right, oh, I see out there. There's standing out there. Let's see who, what's he like? No, he's not like that. In fact, I believe I was in the mind of God before I was ever framed and put into my mother's womb. Okay? I was on God's drawing board. And whenever an architect or a designer, or an engineer does something, there's always a purpose behind what they're designing. And so there's some purpose for my life. And brothers and sisters, I ain't no better than you. You were in God's mind before you were in Mother's womb. Let's go a little bit further. It is according to what we see here about uh, scrutinizing us and really knowing us. I like that uh, thought. Some... uh, Some Hebrew scholars, uh, not giving you a direct interpretation of the Hebrew word. I'm certainly not going to try to pronounce it, but I will tell you that the scheme of it all put together is when it talks about that he knows us personally is that he kind of digs through us like a miner. Now, he's not trying to figure us all out, but it's really saying, I know every little thing about that. I'm going through, I know every little part. He knows your thoughts. He knows everything about you. Now, if that's the case, if he knows that much about you personally, what are some of the things he knows? Well, he knows our movements. It says, when I sit down and when I rise up. I thought that's kind of cute. He knows when I kind of get up. All right, He knows when I get up and I go do something. He's going to know when I walk out of here where I'm going to go. He's going to know where I'm going to spend my time. He's going to know what kind of activities. He's going to watch me at work. He's going to watch me at school. He's going to watch me at home. He's going to watch me late at night when I'm on the computer and no one can see me. He's going to see me when I'm walking. He's going to see me when I'm sitting. He knows where you're going to sit next week at this time. He knows everything about your life. And so when I think about that, I want you to know that I I, I can't get anywhere from him. You remember when we were kids, some of you are old enough to remember this. I don't see cartoons today. I, I can hardly figure them out today. But um, when I watched these cartoons in the past, do you remember how the little bank robber, he'd have a big old beard, a scrubby beard, and... Bandit, you know, uh, over his eyes, a little bandana over his eyes. And he'd have this big bag and he'd run out of the bank and he'd run down the street. And if you remember, he'd always do this. And they'd always look to see who's going to come and get them. But they never looked up. Did you notice that? Because God sees everything we do. He sees us when we sit down. He sees us when we walk. He sees us every place we go. That's huge to me. That means that if God calls me into the military and he sends me thousands of miles away from my family, my wife, my husband, that God is right there with me where I'm at. He watches the things that I do and the places that I go. He watches me in the car when it breaks down. The point of the matter still is is that you cannot ever get away and become totally private with God. Think about that.